Now, I need to, I need to make an announcement. I don't want to make this announcement. I don't want to make it because, because it involves a change on the Sunday morning schedule, and we've made lots of changes on that schedule already. I feel like every time I turn around, I'm asking you to adapt to a new schedule on Sunday morning. But here it goes. October 4th, not next Sunday, but the following Sunday, we're going to have three services instead of two, which means we need to adapt the times just a little. For those of you coming to this service, it's not a big change. This service will meet at 1115. But we'll have three services, 8.30, I'm thinking not many of you are coming to the 8.30. Is that safe? 8.30, 9.45, Life groups will meet during the 8.30 hour and the 9.45 hour. And then we'll meet in here for worship at 11.15 instead of... 1111. That's because so many of us are coming back, and we have many here in worship, but also in life groups, and we have to spread people out appropriately. So we need more space, classroom space, especially for our small groups that are meeting. So that's the reason for the change. That's going to be October 4th, okay? Now, we're continuing our study through the book of Matthew. If you're just visiting us for the first time, that's what we've been doing for quite some time. We're working our way all the way through the book of Matthew. In fact, that's going to take us all the way up to Advent. And it has been rich, and there has been much that we've been able to gain as we've been working through the book. This week, we're in Matthew chapter 19. And it brings us to a new phase in the ministry of Jesus. Let me call your attention to the first two verses of chapter 19. It says, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. So you see, he's now leaving Galilee. That brings us to a new section of our outline. You've seen this diagram many times. Only now, Jesus has completed his ministry in Galilee, and he's moving south. He's on his way to Jerusalem. So the ministry in Judea is beginning. And in fact, by chapter 21, he will be in Jerusalem. And for the last eight chapters of Matthew... We are focused on that last week of the Lord's life. When there he is in Jerusalem, he's being challenged by the religious authorities. Eventually, he is sent to the cross, and then he's raised from the dead, and he commissions his church. The last eight chapters deal with the last week in the Lord's life. That last week is often called the passion story. And not a few scholars have said all the Gospels, not just Matthew, but Mark, Luke, John, that put a great emphasis on that last week, all their Gospels could be called passion narratives with long introductions because the center of the Gospels really come at the end, that long account of the final week of our Lord who gave himself for us and was raised for us that we might be saved. So Jesus is on his way now to Jerusalem. And he takes up various 
topics as he is questioned and as he sees needs along the way. And today we're going to read a passage where Jesus deals with marriage and divorce and singleness. Now, he only brings up the subject because he's being questioned by the Pharisees. They are challenging him. They are testing him and trying to trip him up and to land him in controversy. Lord knows, I hope I don't get landing in controversy this morning, dealing with these verses. Now, I know many of you are not married, and you might think, well, I can check out. This isn't about me. But actually, it is about all of us, because many of us who are not married are going to be married, or we know people are married. And Jesus says some things in this passage that we need to take to heart about the nature of marriage, about divorce, and with that, remarriage, and then also singleness. So let's read his words and see what he has to say. Pharisees came up to him. And tested him, asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together... Let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? He said to them, Because of the hardness of heart, your, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have, been ma- who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Now, these are some hard words. They don't fit easily with our culture. Because naturally, we all know how many divorces happen. And because of that, there are many remarriages as well. And we need to tease out what the Lord is trying to say here. We want to take him for what he says and take it with all seriousness and not water it down. But we also don't want to make it more severe than it is. We need to think very carefully about what the Lord is saying and what he is not saying. Now, it's obvious the basic thrust of what Jesus wants to get across, and that is God wants marriages to survive and to thrive. That's God's original purpose. He makes us male and female, and we complement one another physically and spiritually. And in the union of man and wife, ordinarily, children come. And so we are able to fulfill God's intention for us. Remember his command at the very beginning, be fruitful and multiply. This is what God intends. And he intends for the man and woman who have been joined together to be joined forever, as long as they both shall live. 
But of course, we know that doesn't always happen. But the Lord wants to start right there with what God's intention is. Because all too often, people take that lightly, or at least more lightly than they should. They certainly did in the time in which Jesus lived. Now, this whole passage, this whole passage is written from the point of view of the man. And what Jesus is saying is from the man's point of view. And that's because of the culture in which they live. A man could divorce his wife, but a wife couldn't divorce her husband. It was a patriarchal culture. And there were some circumstances where a wife, if she was in dire straits, could go to the court and the court could actually bring, effect, uh, bring a divorce into effect, but the wife on her own could not. And so everything is from that perspective. We have to read this as men and women, updating it to our culture. God intends for men and women to be united for their marriages to survive and thrive as long as they both should live. That's the intention. Now, at the time in which Jesus says this, things are not going so well. The Jews themselves had different views of divorce. There were some who were very strict. For example, there was a rabbi named Shammai who said that there could be no divorce other than because of adultery. But the more popular rabbi, Hillel, had a different point of view. He said that actually a man could divorce his wife for any reason. And it was that teaching that was behind the Pharisees' question here. They want to know, is it, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? To update it, you'd say a man or a woman today. Is it all right for them to divorce for any reason? They asked the question because Rabbi Hillel says, actually, you can. In fact, he said, in principle, even if a wife burns her husband's dinner, he has the right to divorce her. Seriously. Now, by that, he doesn't mean that was a good reason. He's just trying to say that he has the right. In fact, a very famous and admired rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, who was born in A.D. 50, 20 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. So he actually taught that a man could divorce his wife if he met someone he liked better. Again, he wasn't saying that was a good reason. What he's saying is the man has the right. He determines. So it's in that context that Jesus gets this question. Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? And he wants to start with God's intention for marriage. He doesn't want to start with the regulations Moses gives for how to mitigate the damage of marriage. Moses had said to the men that if they divorced their wives, they had to give her a certificate of divorce because if she didn't have that, she couldn't remarry. And for a woman in that culture to not be married, that put her at great risk. It put her in a very vulnerable position. And so to mitigate the damage caused by divorce, Moses says, okay, it's not God's will that, we divor that anyone divorce, but if you do, here's what you do. Jesus doesn't want to start there because that's a law that's given to deal with a bad situation. That's not plan A, that's plan B. Plan A is God's intention that the marriage stay together forever. And so the Lord leads with that because he wants us to begin there. But real life happens and marriages do fail. 
Some of us in this room have been divorced and perhaps divorced and remarried. Many of you have parents that are divorced and perhaps divorced and remarried. And so this is an issue that touches most of our lives in one way or another. Even if it doesn't involve a family member, it involves a friend. So things don't always work out the way God intends. That was the reason he gave the law to Moses to pass on to Israel about how to handle divorce. But what Jesus says at this point is, wow, he says, you remember his words, that a man who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. If you update that, you would say, and also a woman who divorces her husband and marries another commits adultery. Now, I don't want to water down, like I said earlier, I don't want to water down one bit what Jesus is saying. At the same time, I don't want it to be interpreted in a false way. We need to think very carefully about this because if this passage is misunderstood, it can do terrible damage. It can wound. It can break someone down. Many years ago, I was a new faculty member at Southwestern Seminary. I had to be new because there I was on a Friday afternoon still in my office. Everybody else was gone. Everybody with tenure was gone, but I was there in my office Friday afternoon. And since I was the only one there, I got the phone call. The phone rang, picked it up. It was the operator, the, the, the switchboard operator. And she said, there's a woman on the line. She's calling from Pennsylvania. She seems very troubled about something. She wanted to talk with a professor. Could you talk with her? I said, I'd be glad to. We got on the phone together, and it took a while for me to figure out what was wrong. She was crying. She was hesitant. She couldn't hardly get out what she wanted to ask, but here's the situation. She had been married and gotten divorced. She said, the divorce was my fault. If I had been following the Lord, it never would have happened, but we got divorced. I married another man. We have had children. And he too was someone who, who drifted away from church and was not walking with the Lord. And, and we decided that we needed, to, we needed to get back to church and we needed God in our lives and we needed to reorder things and we wanted to bring our children into church. And when we went back, we were told that the only way we could be saved would be if we separated. I was told I had to end this marriage and either be reconciled to my first husband or remain single because I was living in adultery. I am living in adultery, she said. That is, I divorced my husband and I married somebody else. I'm living in adultery. And they quoted Paul when he says adulterers, adulterers don't have a place in the kingdom of heaven. Well, you can imagine, you can imagine the agony she was going through, the terror that she felt. She said, I don't know what to do. Through sobs, literally, through sobs, she was saying, I don't know what to do. It seemed as if she's been given a choice damnation or the dissolution of her family. 
the ripping apart of her family, wounding her children. What kind of a choice is that? And she was wondering, is that true? The church leaders had read the very verse that we just read a few minutes ago, and they said, this is what Jesus said. So you got to separate because you're living in adultery. It's not as unusual as you might think for people to read this verse exactly that way. For example, the Roman Catholic Church, though they are far more compassionate on this issue than the church I just described, nevertheless, they teach that if you're married and you get divorced and remarried, you are living in, and this is the exact language, official language, you are living in an objective state of adultery and you're not allowed to partake of the Lord's Supper like we did today. Now, they're not intending to be cruel. They're just trying to be faithful to this passage. But you can see how difficult that can be. And I suspect we probably have some folks who grew up in the Catholic Church who may have been affected by this in a very personal way. So what do you do with a verse like this? Jesus seems to say it very clearly. If you get divorced and remarried, you commit adultery. I think the answer is found in what I'm about to say. Now, when I say that, this is as I read the Scripture. I have no pipeline to heaven here. It'd be perfectly possible for you to be sincere before the Lord and read the Scripture and come to a different conclusion. God hasn't spoken to me and said, this is the way it is. But I have studied the Scripture, the parallel passages in Matthew and, or rather, in Mark and Luke that, that go with this passage in Matthew 19, the passage in Matthew 5 where Jesus speaks about divorce, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, what the whole New Testament says touching on these issues and the wider Scripture itself. So I am going to give you my bottom line. I don't have time to, to give you all the different views on this subject and argue for their strengths and weaknesses. There are different views. I'm just telling that up front. But this is where I have come, and I think you might find it helpful. And I pray that it will help you as it's, it helped a woman in the earlier service who said, you've just lifted 25 years of a heavy burden from my life. Here's the basic thing to understand. Jesus says, and he means you divorce your spouse and marry another, you commit adultery. That is a before-the-fact statement. That is before the divorce has happened, not after it has happened. Let me explain the difference this way. Many years ago, I was pastor my first church. It was a small church. When new people came, it was an event. I opened the door of my office one day, the, the office building, and a couple came in. They had started visiting the church. I was glad they were visiting, and they seemed really glad too. We sat down to talk, and they started telling me how wonderful the church was. The people were so friendly. The worship was wonderful. And my preaching, oh, my goodness, what great preaching. They had never heard anything like it. I liked what I was hearing. 
tell me more. I mean, you would think, you wouldn't think I was Messiah, but you might think that I was one of the original disciples. I mean, the way they were talking, they loved me. So I asked them, finally, once I, you know, milked it for all I could, I asked them why they were here, and they said, well, we're going to be getting married, and we wanted you, our favorite pastor, to perform the wedding. Well, that's exciting. I'm so happy for you guys. Tell me something about yourself. And they told me a little bit about their story and how God had brought them together and how thrilling it was. And, and I thought, this is, this is great. And I asked them if they had settled on a date yet. And they said, no, no, we haven't settled on a date yet. And the man points to the woman and he says, her divorce hasn't been finalized yet. Whoa, wait, stop the train. Let's talk about this. And so I asked a little bit more. Turned out that she was married. She wasn't happy in her marriage. She met this young man, and the electricity sparked at the very first meeting. And they just knew that they were meant to be together. I said, well, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, this issue, and, and I tried to be very gentle but clear on that. And they said, oh, no, 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 this is God. This is God brought us together. When we, when we come together and we pray and we read the Bible and, oh, we always are in church and we just love to worship the Lord and God has blessed us and we can't wait to serve him together, the Spirit has been at work in our lives. And I said, it is not the Spirit in your lives, it is hormones, I really said that. I really did. I said, it's not the spirit, it's hormones. Well, their countenance changed immediately. Somehow, I guess my great preaching wasn't so great because they dropped out after that. They actually came to the next Sunday service. I think they were still processing it, but, but after they processed it a little bit, you know, I hadn't seen them again, or I didn't see them again. But it wasn't God. It wasn't God. God's intention was for this woman to work on her marriage. But she wanted to divorce her husband so that she could marry this other man. Now, it would be legal. That is, she'd have a divorce in hand. And then she'd get married. And that would be legal too. But it wouldn't be right. And Jesus says, it's still adultery. Just because you clear up your tracks and you make it all tidy from a legal point of view doesn't mean it's right before God. Jesus, I am convinced, is speaking from that perspective. They want to know, can we divorce our wives for any reason? In other words, they're holding marriage cheap. And he's saying before the fact, listen, you divorce your wife, he said, and marry another, you're committing adultery. I think the sense actually is if you're divorcing your wife so that you can marry somebody else, you think there's, there's better fish out there, that's adultery. It may be legal, 
but it's adultery. That's what the Lord is driving at. Now, contrast the situation that I just described with someone whose marriage fell apart. They didn't intend it, they didn't want it, but it did. No doubt there was error on both sides, there always is. But it may be that the error predominantly was with one person, maybe the other person, maybe, maybe, you know, the one who we're thinking about now. But the fact is, it fell apart, and they regret it. We all have things in our past we regret. I mean, there, there are messes we leave behind, and what we do is we ask forgiveness and we seek to go forward. To read what Jesus says here for an after-divorce situation where a person is simply trying to put their life back together, that's to misread it. The Lord isn't saying, oh, well, you know what, there, there's actually a couple of unforgivable sins. I said there was only one, but actually there's another one. It's called divorce, and once you've been divorced, that's it. No chance there, not for you. That's not what he's saying. They're after the fact, when you're seeking to put your life back together, when you're trying to follow Christ, then, then you move on by the grace of God. You are forgiven and you move forward. But to circle back, the Lord doesn't want anyone in the hard times to think, oh, well, you know what? I can just go ahead and get divorced and I can start over again. No, 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 no. See, everybody hits hard times. My wife and I have hit hard times. And when you hit those periods, you need to remember that God wants you to work through it and be reconciled. You may think it'd be so much easier to separate, but the truth is divorce is the cutting of living flesh. It always does damage. It always causes harm to the people involved, but also to children and others. And so the Lord is on the side of marriage. But he's not, he is not saying, once you've divorced, that's it. No more options for you. Or at least that's how I understand it. To me, it's very much like what Jesus says about the Sabbath. God gave the Sabbath to Israel, and Israel was supposed to keep it. But some people, some people saw keeping the Sabbath in a way that was oppressive and inhumane. So Jesus said to them, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath was meant to be a blessing to humanity. It wasn't as if humanity was meant to serve the Sabbath, that the Sabbath was this sacrosanct uh, uh, command that had to be observed in a certain way no matter what. In the same way, in the same way. God gives marriage to humanity, not humanity to marriage. Sometimes plan B happens, and there is forgiveness, and you can go forward. Now, when you take the Lord's overall teaching here, it's quite clear. He's saying marriage is to survive and thrive. And the response of the disciples to that is so sexist, it's unbelievable. But there it is, right in the Bible. Because you got a bunch of guys together, and when he, when he teaches this, they go, oh, my gosh. If that's the way it is, it's better not to get married at all. 
In other words, if we can't just put away our wives when we want to and start again, we're not so sure we want to get married. It's ironic and it's sexist and it's, it's not a praiseworthy comment. But what's interesting is the Lord seizes on it and uses it to make a very important teaching. Because the fact is, though marriage is most common, it's not universal. So Jesus talks about eunuchs, which is a strange way for us to speak, but we understand that some people are not able to consummate a marriage. And it was the same way in the Lord's time. So some are not able because of birth, some because of a life experience. In some way or other, physically, perhaps even emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, there may be a number of things, and they're not able to consummate a marriage. Well, we understand that, and people back then understood that there were some not able to marry. But the norm was you got married, much more so than today. I mean, if you were Jewish in the first century, you were expected to get married. You didn't get married, have kids, you were in trouble. In fact, Jesus was a single man, and that put him outside all the norms. Lots of people would look at Jesus with kind of some suspicion. What, what is this? What is this? You're an adult man and you're not married. That's, this isn't right. But Jesus said there are some who remain single because of how they're born, some because of life experience of some kind, but there's a third group, those who remain single for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That was Jesus. That was Jesus. He wasn't deprived. He was called to something that involves singleness. And so it is not God's will for everyone to marry. That would certainly be the norm, but it's not God's will. And if you don't marry, it's not like you're, you're second rate or that you miss out on life. That's not the truth. Jesus himself was single. The key is to serve God and follow Jesus Christ. And as you serve him faithfully, that may actually at times get in the way of marriage. At other times, it might lead you right into it. But whatever's right for you, that's what God's going to bring you to as you follow Jesus Christ. That's the key. That's the key. So this whole passage, if you take it together, you know, it really does impact or, or have, have something to say to just about everybody here. Jesus affirms marriage strongly, far more strongly than we do in our culture. At the same time, it would be wrong, I believe, to suggest that Jesus forbids all remarriage after a divorce though he certainly wants us to understand you can't play with God. You can't just make it legal and that makes it okay. So marriage is important, and it's important for all of us here who are married to value that and to work at that relationship. So we're going to pray about that. Also, many of us are single, and we're single either temporarily or permanently, but if we're following Jesus Christ, we are in the middle of his will, and he may want us to remain single for a little while longer, or he may call us to something that involves singleness. 
Now, some people may see that as a great tragedy. That is not a great tragedy, not unless Jesus himself somehow was deprived of a full and meaningful life. But some of us are single, and we're struggling with that in one way or another, so I want us to pray about that. So we're going to end the service a little bit differently. In a moment, we're going to have a time of prayer. And here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to pray. If you're married, I'd like you to pray about your marriage especially if you're having a hard time, you're struggling, praying that God would help you and your spouse to forgive one another, to love one another, to understand one another. If you have been divorced and perhaps remarried, perhaps not, but there's a lot of baggage that you feel because of it, maybe guilt, shame, it's time to pray and put that away. It's time to put away the regret. What's past is past. It's time to ask God to give you peace and to let it go. If you know of someone in your family, perhaps your parents, perhaps a sibling, perhaps a friend who is divorced and dealing with the fallout from that or perhaps is on the verge want to pray for them. If you're single and that aches, let's pray about that. Ask the Lord to help you put your whole self into his hands and let him lead you and trust him. Trust him to fulfill his purpose for you. And surrender yourself to him. Lord, if it's your will that I be single as long as I live, it's in your hands. He knows that you very well, very likely want to be married. That's fine. But put it in his hands. If you know someone else who's single and they are having trouble because of that, pray for them. There are lots of people to pray for, for ourselves, for other people. What I'd like us to do is to take just a little time while art plays to pray for yourself, for others. Let's make this a prayer meeting right now. Would you do that? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace you have poured out upon us through Jesus Christ. Thank you that you show us the way to live that brings life and blessing. Lord, sometimes... Sometimes it's just so, it's hard and we, we fall short. And sometimes, Lord, we find ourselves coping with plan B. But thank you that you are forgiving and you're able to take, Lord, even the things we regret and turn them to something good. And so we ask you to do that in our lives. And as we pray now, Lord, would you touch each one of our hearts? Would you... Bring us to the place we need to be. Lord, would you turn our hearts toward those that need prayer? And so, Lord, in these moments, we, we turn and pray to you.